Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. I don't know, this may not be uh, a problem for you, or you may already experience this, but what would be your dream backyard? Well, if you could build your dream backyard, no expense spared, what would be in your dream backyard? Oh, somebody said a roller coaster? Okay. Or skate park. All right. I, I, I didn't really expect all of y'all to answer, but, uh, uh, but keep that up. I like that. All right. We're talking here. We're just talking about the Bible. And so um, a lot of things I had not thought about before, skate park, roller coaster. I would want a few things. I'd want uh, a pool. I'd want one of those, all right, that somebody else is taking care of. I'd want um, some nice grass. I'll take care of that part. I like that. Um, Thick, cold grass. I would definitely want a pergola, all right? I know they don't serve much function other than I just like the way that they look, all right? I'd want a pergola. I'd want a hammock. Hammocks are necessity, all right? There's like three weeks out of the year in Arkansas that you can lay in a hammock, but I would lay in it some of those three weeks, right? I would definitely want an outdoor kitchen. I would want a grill and a smoker and a sink and a baby fridge. I'd, I'd want no reason to go inside, all right? I'll just hand the food off um, to the family in there, and I'll stay outside. Another thing that I really like, if I'm ever in somebody's backyard or, or uh, maybe go to like an Airbnb and they have this, I love when they have paver stones that kind of make the path, and the paver stones, uh, the grass is growing up in between them. Y'all, y'all know, the, you know what I'm saying? There's like a gap in between the stones, and so it's very magical, all right? It's very Alice in Wonderland in my mind. And so I love that. That's all the kind of different things. I've seen different competitions online before. Y'all have seen this, different magazines or a show. If you enter to win, you could win a dream backyard, a backyard makeover. And that's the kind of competition I can get into, right? I would love to, to win a, a, a dream backyard. I've seen other, like you could win a cruise, some, some things you win cruises. That's just really not my thing. I'm not all that into boats or that many people in swimming suits on a boat. So I'm just not like, that's just not my thing, all right? But a dream backyard where there's not a bunch of strangers in swimming suits um, is, a, is a really cool idea to me. I asked Jackie about this. I said, what would be in your dream backyard? Without any sort of hesitation, she said, deer. I want lots of deer in my backyard, which are going to eat my grass, but still there's these deer, you know, and that's what she wants. In fact, somebody after the first service told me that I, when I mentioned, when I described my backyard, that's their backyard. Exactly, except for the baby fridge. They have everything else. They said they even have deer. And so they have the dream backyard. And so think about it for a second. If you could walk out of your back porch, off of your back door there, and, uh, what would that backyard be like? In Luke 20, verse 9, in Luke 20, verse 9, Jesus tells the story of, of a man who plants a vineyard, and Matthew describes this same vineyard, Mark describes the same vineyard, and Isaiah describes the same vineyard. This is God's dream backyard. It's amazing, and it is beautiful. There's no expense spared. In fact, this is how Isaiah describes it. The one I love had a vineyard. On a very fertile hill, and he broke up the soil and he cleared, of it, cleared it of all stones. And he planted it with the finest vines and built a tower in the middle of it. He even dug a wine press there. It's this 
maybe those words and because we don't all have vineyards or those sort of stuff, but the idea of what Isaiah is painting, the picture that he is describing is this opulent, luxurious, beautiful vineyard. Just absolute height of luxury. No expense spared. This is God's dream backyard and it is absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. The kind of place that you just go to and say, I want to stay here forever. I want to die in this backyard. As, you, as I said, it screams that there's no expense spared. It's completely custom and it's valued. And it's the Jews. See, when Isaiah was talking about this vineyard, and when Matthew describes it, when Mark describes it, when Jesus brings it up in the text that we're about to read, Jesus, God, Isaiah was talking about the people, the nation of Israel, that this special people were his dream, that he created them out of nothing, that he removed all of the stones, that he built strong towers to protect them, that he set them apart and he guided them, that he loved them, and no expense was spared on this beautiful dream of a people that he had that he calls a vineyard. And as beautiful and as wonderful and as breathtaking as all of that is, that dream vineyard, that dream scenario, it is also the scene of a nightmare. For the story that we're about to share this morning, the story that we are about to read, this dream vineyard becomes the setting of a gruesome, violent nightmare. In fact, it's going to be the first story that's going to set up many stories in our series called The Night Trial that will ultimately lead to the darkest nights in human history. That's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we do, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And God, I pray today that each person would, would sit here in this room or watch online, but that they would hear these words themselves, that they would today, if they have not yet, God, that they would either respond by accepting you or know that they are rejecting you. God, I pray that we would clarify that, that we would settle that reality, that every individual is going to have to make the decision between accepting or rejecting you. God, furthermore, I pray that we would we would take seriously the blessings that you have given us. Not to be lulled into the sleep and into the uh, comfort of thinking that these things are things that we have earned, we have built, that we deserve. But God, that every blessing that you give us from our breath to our minds, to our heartbeats, to our emotions, our actions, our careers, our relationships, every blessing that you give us, we would leverage, we would steward to bear good, beautiful fruit for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this together. Amen. Amen. Luke 20, verse 9, this is what it says. And a man planted a vineyard. That's what I said just a moment ago. Jesus is telling a parable, an imagined story with a concrete truth. This man planted a vineyard, and that man is God. And he leased it to tenant farmers and went away for a long time. These tenant farmers are the leaders of Israel. Just like in the original garden in Genesis, God creates this beautiful garden, this beautiful scenery, and he puts two people in it to steward it, to, to manage it, to grow it, and to turn it towards um, uh, God's glory, to bring good of the earth, to work hard, and to produce something for God. In the same way as God created the people of Israel, as the nation of Israel, he gave them leaders, he gave them judges, he gave them kings, he gave gave them religious leaders and priests and, and, and prophets. He gave them all of these leaders to steward the vineyard of God. 
that this was going to be something that was going to bring God glory and be good for other people. That long time that it talks about is Jesus' way of, of emphasizing the, the time frame between God creating the children of Israel, the nation of the Israelites, and then giving them leaders and stepping back while he moved within the, in the work there as he shared his word and his guidance with them, but allowing them to fall on occasion to reject him on occasion, to do things that were alien to the idea of him being their creator. This long period of time really screams the idea that God was patient with these people, that he didn't immediately come down on them, but he was patient, that he has long suffering. That's the picture that Jesus is painting here, that, that God created a special people and gave that special people leaders, and he has been long suffering and patient with that special people. But in verse 10, it says, at harvest time, which means this. It's a reality in the scriptures. We like to talk about God's long-suffering and his patience, but the truth is that as much as that is a reality, that at some point the patience ends. And every person has to give an account for who they are and what they have done and where they stand. It's not like God's patience runs out. It's just that his timetable comes to pass at harvest time. He sent a servant to the farmers. This servant speaks about the prophets. These were Old Testament pers uh, personalities. These, these people like Elijah and Elisha, Amos and, and Zechariah, these people that would go into the nation of Israel and by the words of God, they would call the, the, the tenant farmers back to God. He's saying that God has blessed you. These, these servants would go in and God has blessed them and they would, they would cry out the words of God and say, you need to come back to God. You need to worship God. What you are doing and the blessings that God has given you, you need to leverage those for God's glory. That's, that's what they would do repeatedly and over and over again. That's how they sent them because the tenant farmers had moved far from God. In fact, in Ezekiel 34, it says, the Bible says that these leaders of Israel, these kings and what they call the shepherds, the shepherds of Israel had become so self-centered, so self-absorbed that not only were they not being good for the other nations of the world, but they were actually taking advantage of Israel itself. That the leaders were not leading the people to glorify God. They were abusing and manipulating and taking advantage of God's special people. That's the scenario. That's the situation that is put in here. And so God kept sending these servants, these prophets, to speak the word of God and to call them back. Because he wanted to see so that they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. Some, some fruit from the vineyard. So if you've got your Bible there, circle that word fruit. But let me ask you the question. If the vineyard is this beautiful, set-aside, special garden, this vineyard, uh, this people of God, the nation of Israel, if the tenant farmers are the leaders, the kings, the, the, the priests, the judges, and if the... Um, servants are the prophets, then let me ask you this. What would be the fruit? What, what is God expecting of his special people that he set apart? When they, when they show up and the servants are there to see if it is harvest time, to see if the owner's investment in this land, on this hill, and this, this fortified uh, tower, and this wall, and all the things that he invested, if that, had, if that had borne fruit, what would be the fruit? 
And the Bible fruit has a number of meanings. There is uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Y'all know that in Galatians, it talks about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, like, like God is. It's all of these actions that look and, and, and portray God to the world. John the Baptist, when he was preaching, he told the people to produce fruit consistent with repentance. And so repentance is a fruit that God is looking for. In uh, Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a story about seeds. And he tells this, uh, it's another parable where a farmer uh, goes out and he's spreading um, seed. And as the seed falls onto good ground, good soil, that represents good hearts that receive the word of God, the seed, then they would produce fruit. They would look like God in and through their community. In James, James speaks of this fruit that is peace-giving and peace-making. That the people of God are peaceful people. They don't war with others, but they are peaceful in the way that they are. And so all of this is this idea of fruit. In other words, the good fruit of God is this good uh, representation of who he is to the world. In your dream garden, in your dream backyard, in your uh, dream vineyard, would you have fruit trees? Anybody have fruit trees in your backyard? I see some people shaking their head. We were at Home Depot, and we were getting something else, but there were some trees there, and we, we were wanting some trees for our house, and so um, we were picking them out, and we we're looking through them, and the boys wanted uh, fruit trees. That's what they wanted, and I don't know, I, I mean, I think it sounds kind of cool, like you could have an apple tree or, or something like that, but then the reality is I'm just, I'm a hard pass on fruit trees in my yard. Uh, they, it's something about when I grew up, my neighbors had fig trees in, in their yard, and if you don't pick all the figs up, you know, off the ground or out of the tree, then they, then they rot. They turn nasty and there's a bunch of bugs and they begin to smell. And so in my mind, as, as cool as it sounds to have fruit trees, uh, I, I just think of fruit trees in your, in your backyard as being nasty and, and, and gross and, and rotten. That's sort of the idea that I have. In Scripture, there's only really two kinds of fruit. So you might be a Christian, but you're not like an apple tree Christian and there's a lemon tree Christian and there's a pear. It's, it's just good fruits and rotten fruit. And it's amazing to me how often people will have rotten fruit in their life, but they will pretend that they're walking with God just because they have some fruit at all. There's rotten fruit and there's good fruit. And what the Bible teaches us is that those whose hearts are made new, those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus and God is influencing their lives and God is leading their lives and they are empowered by the Holy Spirit, then they produce good fruit, peace and righteousness and repentance and love and joy and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness and faith. All of these things are the things that a person whose heart is given to God will produce. And yet, if their heart is not given to God, if they have rejected God, then they will produce rotten fruit, self-centeredness and, and uh, prejudice and, and, and selfishness and pride and arrogance. All of these will be produced by a heart that is not given to God. When the servants show up to the vineyard, they are expecting the people of Israel to produce God-like fruit, to look like God in the nations, to bless the other nations, 
that has always and always will be God's plan. That from the very beginning, when God calls Abram out of the nations, when he calls him out, he says, through you, I will bless all the nations. I will make you a nation that will bless all of the nations. It has always been God's plan that he would work through a group of people in order to bless all the peoples. That's the plan. That's the structure. That's the way that God has set this up. And yet when they showed up, they were expecting to see good fruit. They were expecting to see all the blessings that God had given them turned in order to bless other people. So their breath and their heartbeat and their minds and their voice and the places that they stand and their strength and their power and their money, all of that was supposed to be leveraged for the good of other people. That's what God expected to see, but that's not what was left. That's not what was there. When they arrived, they did not see them being blessed to bless others. They saw them being selfish and self-centered. And so what happens next in the story is violent and it's unexpected. God sends three servants and all of them are beaten. All of them are injured. This is what happens in, in, in verses 10 through 12. It says, um, for the first servant that God sent, they beat him. And then God sends another one and they treated him shamefully. They not only beat him, but they also treated him shamefully. God sends a third servant and they wounded this one too. It gets progressively worse. It gets meaner and more violent. That in this beautiful garden, this dream scenario that God established, people are being wounded and hurt and violently pushed aside. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's exactly what happened. That God created these people and as he sent prophets into those people to call them back to a relationship with God, they rejected them and hurt them and pushed them aside and killed many of them. So what is the owner going to do? What is the owner of the vineyard and how is he going to respond? It says, then the owner of the vineyard, the Lord said, what should I do? What am I going to do about this, right? There's a bad scenario he decides, I will send my beloved son. Now we're reading this and you can easily grasp what's about to happen in the story, right? But don't for a second lose who is telling the story. Jesus is telling a story about the owner, the Lord, sending messengers to Israel, but they reject all of the servants. And so God sends his son. For anybody reading Luke, maybe the first time, if you're not in church a whole lot, maybe this is the first time that you're hanging out at church or you're tuning in on Facebook or YouTube. Let me just tell you this, that this son in this story told by Jesus is God's son. That's already been firmly established. If you're reading through Luke in chapter 3, when, when Jesus is baptized, as he comes up out of the water, this voice from heaven says that this is my beloved son, and I am pleased in him. Later on in Luke chapter uh, 9, as Jesus is um, up on this mountain, it's, it's called uh, transfiguration, which we could talk about at another time. But during that story, a voice from heaven says, this is my chosen son. So if you're reading the story of Luke, by the time that you get to chapter 20, you're already well aware of the idea that Jesus is God's son. And so as this story unfolds, as this story um, builds, as Jesus is telling this story, then you're understanding 
that the prophets had come before and they were all rejected. And now, as I am witnessing this man speak outside of Jerusalem, as I am witnessing this man make his way towards Jerusalem, that he is sent by God as God's son. And then look, but they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is saying what is about to happen. Jesus is not dead yet, but he has already three times in the Gospel of Luke predicted his death. Most recently in chapter 18, when he flat tells his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to reject me, they're going to um, flog me and, and, and kill me. That's what he says in chapter 18. All of this is building towards this whole idea where Jesus himself is again prophesying that he will be killed. That's a for that special people of God to reject and to kill the Son of God. And what it does in our sermon series, in this night trial, is that the drums begin to beat, that you can begin to hear the cadence of something happening. The dark clouds are forming on the horizon that Jesus knows as he walks towards Jerusalem that something violent and dangerous and and fatal is going to happen in that story. And yet Jesus walks right into that nightmare. He must have had a very good reason. Jesus knows exactly what is about to happen, and he goes anyways. What's so amazing to me in in that story and in that scenario. So what happens now? Jesus says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He says, okay, so in any story, if you're listening to this story, whether it's fiction or whether it's reality, if you're listening to this story, what then is the owner of the vineyard going to do They've rejected him. They've rejected his servants. They've killed his son. What is the owner going to do? I read a story um, in, in an online newspaper, and it was talking about this couple in another state that had purchased a home. Uh, a couple of months before COVID really shut down the world, they purchased a home and they fast-tracked the closing. In fact, they, they, get, they got all the cash that they could get together with the sale of their previous home. Family gave them some money. They got some personal loans, that sort of stuff. And they got all the cash that they could get together and they paid cash for their new dream home, this new um, reality for them. It was theirs. The deed was theirs. The, the, the bank had cleared everything. That was their home. And so it came time for them to move into the home. And the, the, the seller, the previous person who lived in that home, would not move out. Just wouldn't let them in and would not move out. And for over a year, at the time that I read this, so I haven't like checked in with the family or anything, but for over a year, the buyer could not get into the home. Wouldn't let them in. What happened was there was a uh, law passed in that state when COVID hit that you could not evict people. The, the police could not evict this person. And so as they went to the police and they went to legal, there was nothing anybody could do. The person was just sitting in there, already had the money in their bank account and was not allowing them to get in. I tried to think through this. Scenario. Could you imagine? You don't have another home. You have nothing for your family and they're just sitting. What would you do? That's what, exactly what Jesus says. What then will the owner do? I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm sure some of you are thinking through scenarios right now that involve open or concealed licenses and stuff like that. You know what I mean? 
I mean, I've, I, I, I sat there for a while really thinking through this story. I mean, like, if that guy goes to work, I'm getting in that house and ain't nobody getting me back out of this house, right? At one point, the new buyer tried to water the yard uh, and, and, the, and the palm trees, he specifically mentioned the palm trees, that had this beautiful landscaping. And when he went to water all of that, that the, the squatter, the person that was in the house, came out and cut all the hoses. It's just petty and it's violent. I don't know what you, I mean, like there's so much, they've gone to the police, the police literally were in the article saying, we legally cannot do anything. What would you do? Jesus says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? They have rejected, they have pushed out. He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to the others. Is this what some of y'all were thinking about? You're not allowed to kill people, all right? Not even over your house. That's, that's, that's frowned upon. Even in the liberal state that passed that law. He will come and kill those farmers and give them to the vineyard. We read these stories so often that we're just, sometimes we are not shocked by the reality of what people are doing. These tenant farmers, if there's somebody who is wealthy enough to own uh, the land, who's wealthy enough to send three servants and then has an heir to his kingdom, you better know this, that if you reject him, if you fight against him, the next person to knock on the gates will not be a servant, it'll be a general. It'll be an army that stands behind there. Eventually, you will give an account for rejecting the owner. And this is a hard, real truth that people need to understand, that rejecting God has consequences. Doesn't that just make sense? That to reject the Almighty, to ultimately shake your fist at Him and to say, I don't need you, is to ultimately suffer some sort of consequences. To not steward what God has blessed you with is eventually going to reap you consequences. And that should be obvious, but it's what the story of Jesus is teaching us this morning. The thing to remember here is that you may get away with beating one servant, maybe two, but eventually the owner of the vineyard is going to come and there will be a reckoning. No one, hear me on this, no one gets away with anything. Ultimately, everyone will give an account. No one gets away with it. You have done wrong and you stand before a true and a righteous king and you have to pay on that account. You have to make it right. And so you either have the choice to stand in front of the owner of the vineyard and try to pay that penalty back yourself or you can trust Jesus who has paid it in your place and you just come under his accounts. That's what the story of Jesus is telling us. And that's exactly how the people who were standing by understood it. This isn't just me reading into it. This is how they understood it as well. But when they heard this, they said, that must never happen. We never need to be in a place in which God would take away his blessing, in which God would move on past us. We know, they know that they had rejected God, that they had lived their life as though they do not need him. They have propped their own mind and their own understanding up to be equal with God as if they could challenge the creator of everything. They know they have done that. And yet they don't want God's blessing to move away from them. The dream scenario was crashing in on them and they are waking up to the reality that they are to blame for what is about to happen. That's the truth. That is the hard, nightmarish truth of what Jesus is telling them in this story. So, 
Jesus asked, I think I like how Jesus responds to this. He says, but he looked at them and said, then what is the meaning of this scripture? Another way for, to phrase what Jesus said, he says, well, what did you think was going to happen? They were like, there's no way. There's no way the owner should come and kill the tenant farmers and give the land to somebody else. Jesus says, what did you think he would do? Here's the story. This is what's in Psalms, Jesus says. The stone that the builders had rejected. Who did they reject? They rejected the owner. They killed the son. Has become the cornerstone, the foundational piece. Jesus shifts illustrations. He goes from the vineyard to building. He goes from farming to construction. There's this cornerstone. There's this central piece in the construction of buildings with stone. And, and the story, the idea in Psalm is that there was uh, some people building a home and, and the, um, or, or a structure and the workers saw a stone and pushed it aside as being useless, as being worthless, as being something that they don't need. They rejected it. But later on, determined that it was the perfect piece. It was the foundational piece. It was the structure that held the whole thing together. What Jesus is setting up here is this idea that you can either accept the Son or reject the Son. And there will be consequences on the other side of that. That's the story that Jesus is telling. It's a violent story. It's a nightmarish type of scene in which the good and the beautiful and the dream backyard turns into a place of murder and execution and beatings. And yet Jesus says that's exactly what's happening. It sets up this choice for people. Do you reject or accept the son? To reject the son is to stand in judgment of the owner of the vineyard. But to accept him is to be blessed by God. Every person has to answer that question for themselves. Think about it just for a second. Jesus is not yet dead. They had the opportunity to accept him as the son of God. And Jesus is saying, if you kill me, my daddy is coming. And you just don't want to tangle with him. But that's what they did. So there's this idea of either rejecting or accepting. So if you're talking to a friend, let's say you're talking about spiritual matters and they bring up this idea of, uh, when I was a child, I was, baptized, I was baptized into a church. And, and, and let's say they root that, and a lot of people do. A lot of people root their, their, their faith relationship in um, being baptized as a child. And, and let me just say this. Uh, biblically, we don't agree with that practice, but you shouldn't like uh, shame it. It's a, in that family, it was a beautiful moment in which they were, they were doing what they understood to do. But what you can do is help them to see that from the Bible, in stories like this, that there is this concept called um, personal choice, this personal decision that at some point, not private, not secret faith, but personal faith, that at some point, every individual is going to have to make a choice. They're going to have to make a decision whether or not they accept or they reject that you have this personal decision. And so that's why at this church, we don't baptize babies. We don't do that sort of thing because it has to be built on a personal decision. And babies can't make those decisions. And so when you go into the baptismal waters, when, when you walk into that, what looks like a tub to a lot of people, when you walk into that and you stand in those waters and you are dipped down underneath the water, what you are saying is, I died to self to me. I kill me and the idols that I had and my idea that I'm in charge of everything. And when you raise again, you are saying, and I accept the Son. I accept Jesus. 
I'm not king. He is king. That's the idea of baptism. And so you have this uh, choice, this, this beautiful opportunity when you're talking to somebody about their spiritual life that you could, you could show them what Scripture teaches about that. That's the idea. And so obviously the application for us is that we need to alter our life today in, um, it, it, first and foremost in this idea of whether or not you accept or reject Jesus. Catch this. There is no center ground. You just, there's no fence for you to ride. There's no place in the middle for you to stand. You are either, you have either accepted Jesus or you are rejecting the Son. That's the two places. That's all there is. Good fruits or rotten fruit. You are, you have either accepted Jesus or you are rejecting the Son. And so today I want to invite you to do that. I want to ask you to do that. I, I don't even mind telling you, I want to beg you to do that. Because you cannot reject the Son and stand against the Father. You stand in judgment, and it is for your own good and for the good of those you love to accept the Son, to accept Him, to cry out to Him, to say, I am wrong, and you are right, and I accept you. So you can do that this morning. You can do that right where you sit. You can do that in your own mind. You can just acknowledge the reality that you are not the King and He is. If you have questions about that, I totally understand. It may not make a lot of sense to you. You may need further understanding. You may have questions. You may have objections. And I would love to talk to you about that. In the seat in front of you, there's a card. Put your name and your email. Fill it out if you want to. And then put over there, there's a part about knowing Jesus. Click that. Check that and bring that to me. And I would love to talk to you or another minister or another pastor. One of us would love to just speak to you and talk to you about what that means and hear your story and hear your objections and then tell you what Scripture teaches, not what Josh King teaches, what the Bible says as true. Maybe you have accepted the Son, but you haven't been baptized. You haven't shown everybody. Right now, it's just a private faith. It needs to be personal and public and so maybe today we can schedule that. You do the same thing with the same card. You can put that in these little boxes as you are leaving, or you can bring it to me at the table back there. Another thing, this is the final one, is that we need to change our lives and to check in on how we are stewarding what God gave us. I think the same could be said of us as the people in the story. The equation still holds up. He blesses us so that we can bless others. He gives us life to bring life to other people. If we are not doing that, he is patient, but even that will come to an end. Just a list of few places to get you to start thinking is maybe your work relationships. If you have a job, if you go out into the workforce, there's people at your work that you meet. There's people at your work that are maybe customers or coworkers or bosses or, or clients, those sort of things. Those work relationships are given to you. They are a blessing. I know some of them don't feel like a blessing, but they are a blessing. I got an email this week from a second family member who went through a bunch of her work relationships. And it was so encouraging to me. It was so uplifting because she was like, this person, she told me about her and how she's sharing the gospel with her. She asked me to pray for this person and the struggle that was going on in their life, medical and, and spiritual. She told me about that one and this client that she had and all of these people in her lives. And it was, a, it was encouraging to me because I do want to pray with you about that. I want to support you. I want to help you in those situations. But it was even more encouraging to me because that's a person who is using the blessings that God has given her 
to bless other people. Every week we gather together in this church. There are those who watch online. We gather together in this building that is owned by a church, which is a group of people. And we have, we have very talented ministers and pastors. We have volunteers that make this space warm and welcoming. We have people that, that, that serve coffee and, and those who are not only trained, but they're checked and they jump through all these hoops so that they can take care of children so that we can sit in here. And we don't worry about that because they are, they are professional and they are right and they are good people who are, are caring for our children. We have these facilities that are beautiful. We have all of this, but all of this is not just so we can come and take. All of this is a blessing from God so that we can leverage it to reach other people. He didn't give us a building so we can just sit in it. He gave us a building so we could invite others into it. There are people who have leveraged their whole lives and their whole week, you know, to to learn and to develop and to play music, to uplift our hearts. And so when we walk into here, let me ask you this question. When you tune in or when you walk into here, did you come with a heart that is ready to hear? Did you come with a mind open to be changed by the word of God? Did you bring somebody with you? I'm not saying that every week you have to bring somebody with you, but did you try? Did you try to leverage what we have for the good of other people, to steward all of these blessings. I mean, it may sound weird, but why don't you go visit another church next week? Come back. But, and I'm just, I'm just saying this out loud, so maybe this is a bad idea. But just go pick one and go visit another church. And I, this is nothing against the other churches at all, but I just want to tell you, we are unbelievably blessed. Like, there's so much that God has given us that it is, it is shameful to complain or to not steward it for the good of other people. That where he put us, the campus, the, the, the staff, the professionals, the ministers, the volunteers, the abundance that God has blessed and poured out on us, it would be a shame to not steward that well. So we could talk about your home. We could talk about your address or your finances. But you don't need me to spell any of this out. In fact, when you go to your small group, why don't y'all all spell it out? Why don't y'all sit down and talk about it and say, what has God blessed us with and how are we leveraging that for the good of other people and the glory of God? This last week, uh, Pastor David and I drove down to um, Bryant. Is that the one that's right out of Little Rock when you're leaving Little Rock? Is that the first one? Um, huh? Oh, okay, good. I get lost, you know. And so we go down there. We were going to, we're going to meet with a church planner, and we're, we're encouraging this guy, talk to him, and he was encouraging to us. And, and um, so we're just going to meet with him and, and talk a little bit and that sort of stuff. And so we go down there, and, and we have a great meeting, and it was really encouraging. It's good to hear what God is doing in other churches, that sort of stuff. But as we're leaving, I was, uh, I was really craving a milkshake. In fact, I was craving a peach milkshake from Chick-fil-A, all right? Have y'all had those? It's like the, it's the pinnacle of all milkshakes. Ever since Sonic got rid of the coconut cream pie, this one has, it's right up there, right? I wish that one would come back, but the peach one. And so we pull in there and we're going to get um, a, a peach shake from Chick-fil-A. And uh, sadly, they're not in season. So I had, to, I had to compromise. I had to settle for a 
cookies and cream shake. Oh, it was just, it was just not quite as good, you know, and so I ordered it, and we went around the, the side there, and that place has a cool Chick-fil-A. It also has a cool Dom Pepe's for some reason. That one's really nice, but there's this Chick-fil-A, and I drive around the side, and what I noticed as I'm pulling up is that her window uh, was also a door. Y'all see what I'm saying? There was a window, and she could hand stuff out through the window, but then she could also, I guess, push a button or something, and the whole door would slide open, and she could walk out like Star Trek, all right? I was amazed by it. And so I pull up and I'm thinking, I almost, you know, here's the window. I almost pulled up like way over here so that she couldn't reach me with the shake and she'd have to come through that door, you know, but I didn't. And so I, I pulled up there and, and she's handing me the shake. And I said to her, I said, can this whole thing open? And she says, uh, no, no, sir. The, the dining is closed. We're only doing drive-through. I'm sure she hears that, that question a ton. I said, oh, I'm not talking about the dining room. I'm talking about the thing you're in. Can this open? And she said, yeah. Yeah, I can just push a button and, and it just, you know, like that. I was like. <laughs> you know, I did that. She goes, have a good day. <laughs> okay. Thanks. My pleasure. And so, you know, I took off. And it got me thinking about the whole dining thing. And do y'all remember back in the day when you could eat in Chick-fil-A? You remember, you remember that a long time ago? It was like black and white TV and you could eat in Chick-fil-A. That was a good time. And it hurts my heart. And I, I'm not trying to be silly here or anything, but there's a little part of sentimentality with me with the eating in the Chick-fil-A. I wish I could eat back in the Chick-fil-A. You know why? Because one of the things is when, when we came here, the first time we brought the boys to Conway, Arkansas, we drove right up here at Ferris and then we went to the Prince Chick-fil-A and we sat in there and that's where we broke the news that we're moving to Arkansas, all right? We're about to upend your whole life, all right? But hey, look, peach shakes. So that was just, a, it's like a special, it's like a sentimental thing. I want to go back inside of Chick-fil-A. It's not like the food tastes any different. I just want to go back. I also want to go in Starbucks. I want to go in these things. I want to go back in and think about it for just a second. Two years ago, two years ago, who in their right mind would have thought there's going to come a day when you just can't go in these places? You just can't anymore. You can walk in and pay and get your germs everywhere at that, but you got to leave, all right? You can't go in there and sit down. You can't go into these places anymore. There's like this, there's like this very real example of things that we never thought would go away. Sometimes they do. Sometimes you look up and something happens and all of it is gone. And you look back and you miss it. Don't waste your breath and your heartbeat. You're not promised tomorrow. You can't just say, I'll respond tomorrow. I'll bring them next month. Don't waste the blessings that God has given us thinking that they will always be there because sometimes they'll be taken away. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.